0: Hello, everyone. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Disciple Making Ministry, Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about how you can help us reach lost people around the world by raising up evangelists and disciple makers in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, where we seek to faithfully declare God's Word. And now to that word. In Luke 23, verse 34, the Lord Jesus prays for those engaged in crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. This is the prayer our Savior prays over the unsaved individual. It is a prayer marked by his deep pity for them, as we'll discover in our consideration today of Jesus, the intercessor. The Lord has been scourged. His body and his face have been battered beyond recognition. He's a pathetic sight. There are the women of Jerusalem that are following after them. We realize just prior to this, it says a great multitude cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And now the multitude is going to the place of crucifixion. And we shouldn't read that these women are believers, that they're the ones who believe and follow the Lord Jesus. Jesus will tell himself, these are the women of Jerusalem. They're not the Galilean women that went and attended to the Lord Jesus needs throughout his earthly ministry. These are likely the same ones that have been in the midst of the crowd crying out. But as they're going their way and seeing the pathetic case of this condemned criminal, as they consider the miseries that he's undergone and that he's past the point of relief, and that no matter how much he he's excruciatingly experienced up to that point in time, there is more misery coming, and there is after that the inescapable grave, these women... Their humanity is touched. They're provoked by seeing all these things. And they give up a death wail. And they begin to weep. And they begin to cry. And this is somewhat of a tradition, a Jewish tradition, by the way. When there were people that were dying and suffering, there were individuals in the community that felt that somehow they had the gift of mourning. And they would be gathered around and they'd wail and they'd cry. You remember there's a story of a, a man who came to Jesus. His daughter was dying in. His house was full of people wailing. They were administering their gift of wailing and mourning. And when the Lord Jesus said, this one is not dead, but she's only sleeping, we're told that these people who were wailing, a loud wailing, began to laugh. They went from wailing to laughter in a moment. It's because they were just exercising what they thought was their gift of pathos, their ministry to others who were less fortunate than themselves. And so maybe that's what's taking place here. But it's also true that the human heart is not beyond being touched by compassion and pity for the wretchedness that people find themselves in. So they're weeping. But Jesus turns to them and as we've said, he's in this moment in a point of power. He's accomplishing our salvation. He's waging and preparing to win a war and he's not looking for pity. In fact, he looks and turns around and he has full pity on others. He says, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves, he tells them. Christ is aware of the great judgment that's coming upon the city of Jerusalem. Soon the Romans will lay siege to that city and they will gather around a famine that will take place before Passover. The Lord Jesus is crucified. And 40 years later, three days before Passover, The city of Jerusalem is surrounded and laid siege by the emperor Titus of Rome. And a great famine takes place and pestilence breaks out through the city and it becomes so dire that Josephus tells us that the woman of the city even began to devour their own children. Lord Jesus sees this moment coming. He sees the day in which the walls will be torn down around Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed and the... Bodies of Jews will be heaped up upon one another on its mount, and they don't see their own predicament, but he does. And he's filled with pity and compassion for them. The intercession of our Savior sweeps into account our sins and the great consequences of our sins that we are unaware of. He understands the holy justice and the wrath that God has against sin and that's gathering upon the sinner he looks over all the people. He sees through their successes. He sees through their privileged positions. He even sees through their pathetic pity upon others the great judgment that's coming upon them. And he weeps. Take your Bibles and turn back to Luke chapter 19. Let me read to you verses 41 through 44. These verses record the Lord Jesus entering in Jerusalem for that final week before he goes to the cross. We call this the moment of his triumphal entry. It tells us what he was doing as he's riding in amidst the crowd and they're throwing palm branches before them and they're crying out, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the king. And they, for a moment, are receiving him as a king, but he knows what's lying ahead of him. Here's what Luke records. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, enclose you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. It was a pathway from judgment that could have been realized by the Jews if they'd only recognized their Messiah had come to them. He knew, though, that they were going to reject him instead and that judgment was to come upon them. And so he wept. So the Lord Jesus knows the sin in your life and he knows the cost of that sin and he knows what you must account for if that sin is not removed by him alone. And he intercedes for the loss and he intercedes for us that we might come into his forgiveness. The same way are our intercessions for others cannot look away from the sins of those that we pray for nor of the consequences of their sins we need to be able to absorb the present consequences of their resistance to god's grace and goodness and we also need to to be able to lay upon our own hearts by the spirit of god allow god to lay upon us the pity of the future judgment and consequences that their sin is bringing upon them this burden weighed upon the Lord Jesus, and it was greater than the weight of his cross, and he wanted not pity for bearing the cross. It was more notable in his mind their misery and their coming misery than his own. Here's the last thing to see here. His intercession rises up in an hour of great pain and suffering. Rises up in an hour of great pain and suffering. Now, usually, you're like me when you suffer, when you're in great pain, you don't think of anything else but your suffering and your great pain. Your mind fixates on the point of pain or on every point in which there's pain. Where do you hurt? The question is, where do I not hurt? And you're just fixated on it. But when the Lord Jesus goes to this point and he's experiencing this great pain of a fallen world, the Lord Jesus knew that pain was the result of living in a sinful and fallen world and in his suffering that he endured at the cross, what the Lord Jesus was doing was he was allowing all of the accumulated pain and sorrow in all of the world, all of its miseries, all the miseries that are brought on by sin and all of the products that it brings upon the human race, the Lord Jesus is allowing all of that to come upon him and the cross. Such pain, such extensive pain, is unimaginable to us. Yet as he bore it, He thought about those he bore it for. And he prayed for those that he was suffering for. And he was more mindful of the pain that was before them and of the consequences of their sin that was before them than what he was himself enduring. And so as he died, and you think about this, as he died, he cried out and he prayed for the very ones who were calling out for his crucifixion. As he suffered and as he was in great agony and pain, his mind was turned to those who had framed him with lies. As he was enduring this excruciating suffering, he thought of those who mocked him during his sufferings and those who were nailing him to the cross and those who were shamefully gambling for his garments as he hung naked above them, tormented. He prayed for them in his pain, thinking of their pain. Thinking of them. That's what he did for you and I. Thought of it all, weighed upon his mind. He's overwhelmed in this excruciating moment not to think of himself, but to think of us. If you think at any point in time that you've committed some sin or you've done something that lays outside God's ability to save you, God's ability to redeem you, think of that moment. Think of that moment and that act and that hour and that time when Christ was enduring the concentrated suffering of the sin of the world, and in that moment he cried out to intercede for those who had suffering yet before them, not to be realized, and that he longed that they would not realize, that instead they might experience God's forgiveness, they might be released. That's the word, Father, forgive them means release them from their sins. As he was experiencing the devastation of death and sin, he prayed for others, he prayed for you and I. This is, by the way, what the Lord Jesus did for us, but it's also what the Lord Jesus can do for us in our own sufferings. Our suffering can draw up from us sympathy and a plea for those who we pray for, those that we long to see brought to Christ. When we suffer, when we go through difficulties, instead of just wallowing in our pain and our misery and our pity, the Spirit of God can work with us. It can touch a note within us, in which we actually pray for those who are facing a day of greater suffering than that. It can cause us to rejoice, in knowing that one day all that pain and all that sorrow and suffering for us will be released. We'll Enter into the presence of the Lord, and the Bible says we'll run and never grow weary, and we'll walk and not faint. Just this, Yesterday I spoke to my brother, one of the elders in his church, who's been a good friend of his and a loyal member of his church for many years, is dying of cancer he's just gone under hospice care he was planning a month and a half ago what sport he was going to be involved in for the summer season sporting season and now he's got this family gathered around him and he's dying my brother said he went to visit this individual and the man said you know he said it's the real thing that you struggle with and the real battle here is not battling with pain or battling with cancer it's It's the struggle to rest in Jesus. Pray that I would rest in him. The Bible says when we die for the believer that we sleep. Hmm. I don't know about you, but as a parent, it was wonderful watching the joy of our children running around, but it was also a joy when they fell asleep in your arms. They were so precious and so wonderful. Then the next morning, they'd leap out of bed all over again. For the person who dies in Jesus, we sleep, we rest in him. and we we'll rise up and spring forth in him one day in eternal glory. That's what's before us. That's our joy. That's our promise. But for others, not so. But for others, not so. The misery and suffering is but beginning. When you're in pain, when you're suffering, see through your pain the promise of hope and rest that God has for you. In that hope, in that promise, pray for those who have yet to receive it and claim it. Pray for those and for their pain. that It might be removed from them and they might be able to escape it. That's what our Lord Jesus has done for us so sublimely. Now, it's not possible for us unless the Spirit of God moves us to that place. So let's ask God to give us the spirit of intercession, deep spirit of prayer for others. want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to the Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.